0: I think the title speaks very well of all that has been studied so far. And it was intentionally clever, but it's very serious as well. Simpletons, as you remember from the first intro of this, simply means foolish or gullible. These are the days that we are in presently. It's not just a few, it's a world system that is behaving foolishly and is gullible. We as a nation have seen our gullibility, meaning that we're buying into anything that is redefining what God has definitively said is his way, his will, and he wants it left that way. These things that politics have corrupted in terms of the purity of language, confusing the young in trying to redefine everything but defining nothing according to the word of God. When we look at this series of teachings, in essence, Solomon's capturing it all. He will live out his reign, both in excellency, but also as well in weakness. We have that as well before us. The excellency of our temporal reign on earth, that means the time that we've been given some control and the time ultimately in which God in all of his control sums it up and takes us home. When Solomon is obviously in this particular dedicatory ceremony his heart is on fire the masses have come into the city and their hearts are beating hard for the lord for they have a beautiful temple that has been built extravagantly and it merits awe and wonder not at solomon He was impressive, there would be no doubt to that. The scriptures tell us that he was sought the world over for the wisdom that God had given to him. But it was this extravagant work according to the vision that had been given to David that would be the place in which God's name would be placed. And it was intended to be something greater than just a building. It was to represent the living God. And literally the life force of God in the people that are motivated to come away from where they were at and to come into the proximity of the area of worship. This was unique. It was the predictable place of worship where you could go to present yourself, your offerings, and to be assured in that which you had given to the Lord that it was going to be well with your soul. We come here and very often we forget that God, from the time that we step through here to the time that we leave, has done a beautiful work of redefining us, cleansing us, taking things from us, and also at times seemingly indistinguishably adding things to us and blessings. A couple of weeks ago, I detected just a sore in my mouth just at the back, inside, and You know, I kept using my tongue to detect if it was getting better. It seemed to inflame. I had no answer for what it was. It wasn't a canker, so I knew that. And I couldn't imagine anything that I'd eaten that would have been the cause of it. And so I pursued holistically naturopathically, a course to heal myself, praying through it, tinctures of cayenne, whoo. echinacea, tinctures of echinacea. I, at one point in time, became concerned enough to her, in defiance of the label, it says, don't ingest this, I did. A little Antibiotic. I'll take some of that triple ointment, because the infection was going down to my jaw. And I thought it didn't have too much farther to go to get down to other parts, and I thought, oh my goodness, what's happening to me? So I'll just boil it down for you. When I was about 21, I'm thinking, I had four of my wisdom teeth extracted, and the oral surgeon said once I had awakened, he said, oh, by the way, one of your root tips broke off. Shouldn't be any problem. See you later. Check with the receptionist going out the door. Make sure you leave something green for me. So yeah. So. In my mind, I'm thinking, what could it be and could that be what it is? But I continued to gargle and tincture and continued to pray through it. And finally, Chrissy said, hey, Zach's scheduled for an appointment, but he can't make it take his spot. He said, I don't like going to the doctors or dentists. Rich, do it. Find out what's wrong. And I hemmed and hawed, and she was gone. They were on a trip. And so I knew that she couldn't really force me. I'd have to have an answer, you know. Oh, I fell asleep, Chris. I didn't make it. But I submitted and, you know, went to the appointment. And as my mouth was open and they examined me, this doctor, you know, with these tiny, tiny, tiny specks. Opens my mouth, looks around, and goes, hmm. I said, do you see it? Hmm. It's kind of, you know, right back where I told you. And then he allowed me to close my mouth and started walking around. And he goes, let me look one more time. So he gets closer with these little, tiny, magnifying glasses. And he said, ah, uh, I see it. Do you mind if I use an instrument on you? No. It's, it's like necessary? Yeah, it's necessary. So he said, it might hurt a little bit. <sighs> Did you have to tell me that? That's what I'm thinking. So he gets these tweezers, just like mom would have done. And he touches the wound. And he said, here it goes. Might hurt a little bit. And he pulled. He goes, wow. He said that. I go, ow. He goes, wow. He <laughs> said, got it. What is it? It might be exactly what you said. The tip of your wisdom tooth, the root of it. It may indeed have been the root of all your trouble. Really? Yeah, look at it and I saw what looked like a little shark tooth on the board that had the paper towel. And I had tried dental floss, I tried everything in my capable hands to heal myself and I couldn't heal myself until a surgeon was permitted by me in an appointment that I did not make, I just yielded to it And with that, I continued to rinse, do all of the things that were right for it, and I have a whole mouth. The infection began to just go, woot, 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 just went away. Here's why I'm saying this, because Solomon's going to address a root issue in his dedicatory prayer That thing had to come out of me. Why it took so long, I don't know. I'm glad that if I'm right, it was that one and not the other one going up into a place which I cannot afford to lose any matter on whatsoever. It went this way. We had time before it got here. But I realized that in that, and I've had other illustrations in my life, it couldn't remain because it didn't belong. And even though ultimately it would cause a pain in me, there was an answer, and that was its removal. To submit that it would be removed by one skilled to confirm it's working its way out. There are things in our life spiritually that God is working out of us, and we can say, I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to do something that's homopathic. I'm going to do something that's just really easy for me. And the Lord says, I got eyes on this. And I got the surgical tools for it. And you can keep playing games with it if you want. Or I can deal with it right now where you're at. And I could have gotten out of that chair. I could have said, I, I can't even imagine what you would subject me to. I don't think I've got the courage for it. I'm too weak. I'm running from the chair, don't try and catch me, because I get really ferocious when you try to stop me from something I don't want to do. I just submitted, and to this day, so that's like one and a half, two weeks ago. My tongue just floats around the back of where once I had a molar, which was called a wisdom tooth, and i just go praise the lord i'm healed because i submitted prayerfully what i was trying to hold on to this tip of wisdom was a spike and i released it i did ask which i am very sentimental towards body parts i said can i take that home with me this was my answer this was his answer to me that is a A bio what? It was a biohazard. What did that make me sitting in the chair? If that little thing was a biohazard, man, they must have come, they said, we need a hazmat suit after this guy leaves. So you may say, is this narration really necessary for where we're going? I do believe that it's a practical illustration that is necessary for where Solomon is going, and ultimate decisions that he will still have to be making to the conclusion of his life and throughout and for his reign successfully over Jerusalem. There are things that he's talking about, literally, that are line item medical issues, spiritually medical issues. That prayer is essential, and that it's essential because sin needs to have reconciliation. And the only way that that happens is by communion with God to pray towards this holy habitation when in your heart, as last week, one of the items was the plague of your heart, the plague of your mouth, the plague of your mind, whatever it may be, it's got to be dealt with prayerfully. See, I had prayed Whenever you get something that goes wrong with you, it certainly creates an urgency to pray. But what does God want you to do in the overt act of seeking him through prayer? What does he want you to obey? I could have prayed. I did. But if I hadn't obeyed, I wouldn't have the results that ultimately God achieved. Could I have done that with my own hand? Could have tried, chances are I would have messed up somehow. Swallowing the tweezers, getting it completely wrong. And it may have been that the Lord really pressed me to the point where, because of the throbbing, I could see the marker of pain. I knew that this infection could become very serious. So God knows that the infection that sin always leads to. Becomes very serious if without his light, his eyes on it, and his desire to take care of it, we neglect it. All of what we had been looking at says pray and obey. Pray and obey. Oh, by the way, pray and obey. Because I'm willing to listen to have compassion on you. Look my way, pray. And obey. They were always directed to look the way of God, which would have been Jerusalem, towards his holy temple, because that was their connection. You may not be able to make it by horse, camel, by sandal, but look towards me, and I will see your heart, and I will heal you. I will heal your nation. So that's the beauty, actually, of what we have seen in this. Other things that we could certainly relate to contemporarily is it global warning global warming or is it in fact God saying there's godless warning that I'm giving you to a nation to a world system that defies me there is a warning that I'm giving you And there's time to repent and to have these things addressed. Because so much of what we see is the evidence of a people group that desires to no longer listen to truth and respond in obedience to God. (coughs) Let's enter into this particular passage of scripture I'm gonna have to get a drink of water though. (coughs) And I like this illustration too. Sometimes it's healing, that's as easy as sipping water. The scriptures the spirit likened to as water, take your sips, get doused, drenched. So that's what I'm doing. Sound effects included. This is all about the prayer time to the house of God. If you actually indulge in timing it, which begins at verse 22 and will conclude at 53, it's about a seven-minute prayer. Can you pray seven minutes as articulately as Solomon did? If you read it, not running through it quickly, nor being unnecessarily slow, it's about seven minutes to read what we have been studying so far and how powerful it is in its reading. Verse 46 Solomon brings us to that point, which is repetitive. For every consequence that could be cited, Solomon says, Take it to the Lord. Pray towards his holy house. God will identify with you from wherever you're at, and he will touch you. He will change things, either personally or nationally. We look to the White House, but the White House needs to look at God's house, period. We look at the House of Congress, but that House of Congress needs to look at the House of God. These issues that are, in my opinion, blasphemous with regard to the sanctity of life would provoke certainly God to say, you know what? There's a drought globally. There's famine globally, pestilence Globally. Disease globally. And so you can put excuses on it. You can say it's all about we need to be changing things in our environment. We need to no longer use fossil fuels. We need to go back to the simpler things. No. That's got nothing to do with it. I'm... Convinced according to the word that God is saying something concerning culture. And the church, praise God, we go through it too. But you know what? One of the last areas of teaching was the foreigner needs to see what it is we're about so that they have a sure hope when they're coming out of hopelessness to find an answer. Because it's not coming from Washington, D.C., it's not coming from the Kremlin. Nothing's going to come to change things except the one who came in humanity as God to represent the heart of God, to save people from the consequence of sin, which is death, and ultimately all of the demise that gets wrapped up in it, overlaid. When they sin against you, verse 46, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy, and they take them captive to the land of the enemy far or near, yet when they come to themselves in the land where they were carried captive and repent, And make supplication to you in the land of those who took them captive. Saying we have sinned and done wrong. We've committed wickedness. And when they return to you with all of their heart. With all of their soul. In the land of their enemies who led them away captive. And pray to you toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city, which you have chosen, and the temple, which I have built for your name, then here in heaven, your dwelling place, their prayer and their supplication, and notice this, maintain their cause. Cause and effect are one of those things that we say is observable and has Obviously, the ability by associative observation to say, oh, the cause of that is because of this. That's the effect. The cause of that is because of this. That's the effect. So we can either say in simplicity, oh, that adds up to this. Or we can say, yeah, that formula's not working for us. We're going to try something else. Solomon is directly linking the consequence of what happens to a nation and prophetically what will happen to his nation on this beautiful ceremony, prophetically speaking of what will happen ultimately to his nation because of sin. But he gives that word that grants hope. When you're there, caught off guard, taken captive, that place You, with your heart and soul, seek the Lord God. Pray to this place, the land of promise, and God will hear you and will deliver you. You can certainly say, man, that sounds like Daniel. It does, doesn't it? It sounds exactly like the predicament that would be upon them in the book of Daniel. And there were in that generation some wonderful people that would say, Oy vey, why now? Why me? I've got my life before me. The classic study in Daniel is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There were others, no doubt, that were a part of that. Prophets that would be raised up in that time. At times, we would say, why do we have to be caught up in this junk now? Why does it happen to us? We had the hope of the golden years, and now we're seeing silver and copper and dross and drought and stuff. Why? Well, God says that we can be taken captive with those who have chosen captivity over freedom and liberty because of the neglect that God says he doesn't like. We're an exceptional people that have exceptional authority through prayer. But also, important to note, in what is the privilege of our nation really, very exclusively, uniquely, is to vote with God's heart. Far too often we've made politics the means by preference as opposed to the word of God and piety that is pure and sincere. We've all done it. I at times have made a check going, I don't know that person, only to find out, oh, my word. And the Lord would say, yep, it was about my word that could have revealed with further investigation what that person was not called to do by me, but what the other person was called to do by me. It's so cool when you see the Lord raise up those who are representatives of government in counties and in cities, and you know that they've answered a call and you know that they're going through it because why they're believers. Their eyes are looking to the temple. They're calling upon God to give them wisdom. They are at times cloistered with those who could not be further from the Lord's heart. And yet there they are, with precision, being an instrument in the Lord's hands of saying, I will not bow the knee. This, in essence, is what is being voiced here. We're all sinners, but we don't have to remain in that. We don't have to choose, ultimately, what the effect will be, because we didn't turn from it. So it's a wonderful thing, but it also is a very sobering thing because there's words in this such as wickedness, and we have a wickedness. I was shocked to hear the mayor of New York City say, with no apology, that abortion is fine from the first month to the ninth month. It should not be impeded. And it nauseated me. I'm going, Where did this guy come from? And of course, in my mind, I'm going, hell. I mean, it is astounding. I know that on the argument side of it, it is subtly hidden. This guy literally was able to say with absolute conviction I don't care. First month, ninth month, I have no conviction about that whatsoever let it be done, so let it be written, quote from a movie. And I'm going, man, that mayor needs to have prayer for him to voice with persuasive lips contrary to God's heart. But when they return to you with all of their heart and with all of their soul in the land of their enemies. See, to some degree, We could say, we're in the land of our enemies. How could we behave in such a way as a nation when this is the promised land? What are we allowing it to become? But we're not to be at enmity with our neighbors who are behaving wickedly because that's contrary to what God has done. He's not at enmity with us. Peace was settled when it was brokered by Jesus dying in our place. And it's hard to believe that we have to have a heart like God to forgive while at the same time having the ability to, with conviction, point those wicked deeds, those people of such unrepentant ideologies and we're able to just say, you know what? I know where your heart's at. Mine was there at one time as well. But God wants to save you from yourself and from the wiles of the enemy who has deceived you. There is a cause. There is an effect. But God says, I am there to change the predicament that has been the result of turning from me. Forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions which they have transgressed against you and grant them, notice this, compassion before those who took them captive that they may have compassion on them. Kind of a double-edged statement that those people who took them captive would have compassion on them, but the implication may be as well that they being rescued from the place of captivity would have Compassion on their enemies that did this. That's generally not the way we run. We want judgment, justice. For they are your people, verse 51, and your inheritance, whom you brought out of Egypt and out of the iron furnace, that place of hardship and judgment. 52. That your eyes may be open to the supplication of your servant and the supplication of your people, Israel, to listen to them whenever they call to you. Whenever we call to the Lord, we must not be in doubt that he hears us, desires to hear us. We hear so much that actually we do contrary to what God does intentionally. Turn the phone off turn from people don't want to read it don't want to listen to it it's actually the consequence of being so saturated with media and everybody's opinion that we're we're striving to find our place in quietness it's very often misunderstood as snootiness or not caring lacking compassion that can be a problem Can you imagine what Jesus must have felt like in some of the most exhausting moments of his day to have a multitude that pursued him because of who he was? Have you ever had those days where you're just, you're always being pursued and you have nothing seemingly to give and yet it's someone, something that's needed of you. The only way is to say, Lord, fill me up, pour me out. Help me out, can't do it. You can, Lord, that I might not sin against you by having a heart that becomes callous and insincere. You did it, therefore you know how I can do it in your power, by your spirit, in this temple. For Lord, I am a templeton. I am not a simpleton. Once I was, now I'm not. It has requirements. Those requirements are essential that I stay connected with you, regardless of the fatigue, regardless of the exhaustion, spiritually, in which I say, I can't do it. God, you can do it. Very promising here. Your eyes open to supplication. You separated them from among all the peoples of the earth to be, notice this, your inheritance. or God's inheritance. That's a special word there that Solomon's using. As you spoke to your servant Moses when you brought our fathers out of Egypt. See, that's still God's heart is that he brings people out of Egypt. Egypt is the world system. Where did they go when they're brought out of a world system? They need to be brought into a spiritual system. This is a spiritual system. The government says irrelevant. You know, we'll leave open Walmart and the, you know, hose and garden supply area, but the church is irrelevant. Go back. Stay away. Be safe out there. Be safe out there. I'd rather be safe in here, even if endangered by what is in those particular times, the unknown. We have people that suffered grievously in these past two years. But I'd rather suffer in confidence with God and even if that means demise to me, believing that this is where I belong, this is who I am, I'm not going to go back to being a simpleton, a fool, I am not going to go back to being gullible. I can't. There's too much to live for and so much to lose if I miss my life's calling and pointing to him. Well, Solomon blesses the assembly. Let me move through this. It'll go quickly. It's faster than seven minutes. And so it was when Solomon had finished praying all, his, all this prayer and supplication to the Lord that he arose from before the altar of the Lord from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread to heaven. He opened the invocation by standing and somewhere in the process he found himself kneeling. What a great illustration that is. We stand in our faith but we do not hesitate to kneel in our prayers. Hands open, lifted up to God. Very dramatic, very essential for us to be as well. Love it when hands go up. I've seen people move towards their knees using their chairs as their anchors, reverence. I love those things. And then he stood and blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice. My voice is fading. Solomon's was just getting revved up. Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. There has not failed one word of all, his good promise. Some of you need to hear that. There has not failed one word Of all his good promise, which he promised through his servant Moses. Can you go back and say, Oh, it was a good word. It was a sound promise. And I let go of it, I traded it in for something else. And yet, God's faithfulness, even to this day, to remind us what I speak is true and what I do is real, and I will not disappoint. Even though there are disappointments, there are things that will never be reconciled in this time and space because it will all get summed up and be presented to us in the eternal, the place ultimately where we're being perfected. But along the route, He gives us these awesome revelations of both promise and the satisfaction of tasting them. That's what He does. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us nor forsake us. I think Jesus said something about that. I am with you always. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Good job, Solomon. He was only being permitted to say what Jesus would say to confirm that for us, he is our assurance. And he is our insurance. That he may incline our hearts to himself to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments. The statutes of the Lord are his binding power on that which concerns you and ultimately glorifies him. His binding power. You may feel you're being broken, your grip is being lost, and he says, that's my binding power on your life. The judgments, the fair and reasonable adjudications of God towards you for favor of you. We very often will say, it's gotta be of consequence. Well, if that were true, you and I'd be coming in here with a lot of bandages on ourselves. Because God's been compassionate. He's fair and he's reasonable to us, both in knowing our nature. Solomon said it. We all sin. But God is merciful and compassionate to forgive. And may these words of mine, with which I have made supplication before the Lord, be near the Lord our God day and night, that he may maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel, As each day may require. Maintain the cause. What's the effect? God gets glorified. Oh Lord, maintain my cause. What's the effect? Lord, that you receive the glory. That's a good definition of cause and effect. Oh Lord, maintain my cause. What for? Lord, that the effect might bring you glory. That the effect might bring you glory. My offering to you whatever the effect is, that it brings you glory. That all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God, there is no other. Verse 61, let your heart therefore be loyal to the Lord our God to walk in his statutes and keep his commandments as at this day. He now simply addresses them with a great command. Make sure that your heart is right before the Lord. Loyal to Him. Not to your flesh, not to the persuasion of culture, it's loyal to Him. Then the king and all Israel, verse 62, with him offered sacrifices before the Lord. And Solomon offered a sacrifice of peace offerings, which he offered to the Lord, 22,000 bulls, 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the children of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. This is a feast. In essence, it was so magnificent. It was so much that the courtyard had to be used Additionally, to supplement this barbecue as unto the Lord, in which the people would be rendered after the fat had been received and the peace offerings surrendered, they would receive the bounty of this. Pretty amazing, both the priests and the people. And on the same day, the king consecrated the middle of the court that was in front of the house of the Lord, for there he offered burnt offerings, grain offerings, and the fat of the peace offerings, because the bronze altar that was before the Lord was too small to receive the burnt offerings and the grain offerings and the fad of the peace offerings. We already saw that it was a huge altar of sacrifice, but it was small in terms of the turnout and how much Solomon was investing in this ceremony. And at that time, Solomon held a feast in all Israel with him, a great assembly from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of Egypt, before the Lord our God, seven days and seven more days, 14 days of feasting, celebrating, worshiping. Without worshiping God, the feast really is indigestible. It creates indigestion. I really do believe that's true. I think one of the best things that we could do is to start getting our hand back in the hands of God is to have prayer at the family table. Or have prayer at McDonald's. Or wherever you are at, the pizza parlor, wherever you're at, Kuntai, wherever you're at, men, lead your families in prayer. You'll see that very few people really care, but God takes notice of you. Less indigestion. More peace around your table. It's one of the best ways to get over your hang-ups about prayer. Just do it publicly. And God will give you not only courage, but you'll feel actually it's so natural. Why didn't I do this supernaturally years before? And so at that time, Solomon held the feast. Israel was with him, a great assembly from the entrance. This is indicating that this goes almost to the tip of Egypt. It's that vast the populace, the masses that are coming. Pretty extraordinary. And then on the eighth day, he sent the people away and they blessed the king and went to their tents, joyful and glad of heart for all the good that the Lord had done for his servant David and for Israel, his people. We should be able to leave here today with that being an exclamation mark on why we came to see what the Lord would do in the beauty of his house. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that shall I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold his beauty and to inquire in his temple. Your answer is here, and it's with God who's never left you. But he's quite content to remain and to beckon by his spirit those who who haven't yet made it to the feast, have not yet taken opportunity to rejoice in God's goodness. Just because some of you like pyrotechnics, kind of an experiential thing, in Second Chronicles this actually tells us what happens, and I close here. When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple and the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. That's the part that was not stated in our first Kings. Sometimes the Lord gives us the sequence of events teasing us with other details that are important and the reason that that's an important part of it is very often we say well what do I have to do to get things really just dynamic just do what Solomon did present yourself before the Lord as a living sacrifice make room for God and make room for the people that are hungry and thirsting for the things of God, his righteousness, that all things may be added unto them, no longer experience subtraction unnecessary because of the vanity of choices that have consequences. We've all been there. Simpletons we once were, templetons we are, Spread the word. It's an important thing to do. Invite. It's an important thing. The only thing you're going to experience is rejection or acceptation. We've been rejected enough. We're probably pretty good. We've probably developed a skin. It's okay. It's okay. I'm rejected. Jesus was too. I must be doing good. I'm okay with that. But when there's acceptation, you can say, wow, the glory of God broke through in this moment of invitation. And that's what we want to do. There's some things that you'll probably never see me do here. I'm not bringing in smoke machines to give the impression, ooh, the Lord's here, fill in the house. There's some churches that do that. I'm not doing that. I think the most radical thing I've done is put up TV screens. And actually, some people I've heard have, not you guys, visitors have rejected. Can you do that in God's house? We tried it. It works. They like it. I like it. But I still print bulletins because those bulletins are God's word in your hands. The songs that we sing, those being left out, by the way, can be a calling card on somebody's heart or an answer to somebody's prayer. Don't forget that.